And now, Virgin Most Powerful Radio is pleased to present Hands-On Apologetics with renowned Catholic author and apologist, Gary Machuda. And welcome, everybody, to Hands-On Apologetics. Yes, you have entered into Virgil Most Powerful's Apologetics Dojo. It's great to be with you today. Um, Hope everybody's having a great week. Yeah, we're at Thursday. And, uh, man, had a great week so far. We're going to continue with the great stuff today. We're going to focus on uh, those movers and shakers on social media. You know, um, there's a lot of great uh, talent out there, a lot of uh, gifts that God has given people, especially converts to the faith. And if you're like me, you love hearing conversion stories because it gives you all the more reasons to love and adore our Lord and his church. And uh, today we're going to talk with a convert who has a fantastic video ministry, and that is Kyle Whittington. He's going to be joining us here in the dojo. We're going to talk about uh, his conversion to Catholicism and also all the great stuff he's doing on his social media stuff. All of that is going to be coming up on the other side of the break. On this side of the break, we're going to do what we always do. We're going to look at our Finding the Fallacy. Today's Finding the Fallacy is the appeal to fear. And also, as you know, we meet an early church father. Today's early church father is St. Fulgentus of Rusby. St. Fulgentus of Rusby. Actually, uh, an important figure, uh, fairly late. And it's also one of those many saints that are early church fathers that I would venture to say most people, even apologists, aren't even aware of. So I'm going to learn a little bit about this early church father and why his testimony is uh, so important for defending explained explaining uh, the Catholic faith. All of that is in store for us today. So let's begin, as we always do, by welcoming you all to the dojo. Welcome aboard, everybody. It's great to have you with us, all you listening on radio, and of course, you live stream peeps out there. Welcome aboard. And of course, all of you listening on podcasts around the world, including those listening in the future. So thank you so much for tuning into the past and uh, availing yourself of this program. Uh, as you know here, uh, the program's live stream, and that means that you can listen to it live stream, uh, and you can download it, share it with people. The way to do that either is through the uh, phone app or our flagship website, which is Virgin Most Powerful Radio.org. That is the place to go. And indeed, um, you go there, you just click on Hands On Apologetics, and you can do all sorts of stuff. You can download the program, you can share it, you can tell your friends about it. And I appreciate you doing that, too, because that spreads the word about the show and increases our ability to help people supply them with great information and meet, let them meet other movers and shakers in the field as well. So thank you in advance for doing that. Also, uh, if you would like to contact me through email, the best way to do that is through the official Dojo mailbox, which is questions at handsonapologetics.com. And that's all one word, 
questions at handsonapologetics.com. That comes straight to me, and I do answer your emails. And also, I appreciate guest suggestions as well. Um, that helps us bring uh, all sorts of great guests to the show. Because, hey, I, I try, but I can't be everywhere. Even virtually can't be everywhere. There are so many different outlets, so many things going on. You know, I, I'm limited, so I appreciate your heads up. If there's someone out there that's doing a bang-up job explaining, defending the faith on social media, because I'd love to give them a platform, get them uh, some exposure on this program, and because that's the whole deal. When you're defending the faith, resources are key. You don't always have to know all the answers. It's important to know where to get the answers you need. And uh, so that's why I love highlighting people that otherwise probably wouldn't be known, you know, at least not in our own lane of media. All right. So that being said, let's go to our Finding the Fallacy for today. The Finding the Fallacy is uh, the appeal to fear. It's a very scary fallacy indeed. Um, the finding the fallacy appeal to fear occurs when there are persuasive messages that attempt to arouse fear by emphasizing the potential danger or harm that would befall individuals if they do not adopt the message's recommendations. Um, yeah, so like many uh, different fallacies, um, you can have... Um, uh, legitimate uses, and then there are fallacious uses, right? Because obviously uh, there's nothing wrong with arguing from consequence that if certain things are enacted, there will be necessary consequences that will be things that people would not want, right? Appeal to fear is a little different, though. It's more of a way of intimidating or instilling fear in a person so that they don't even consider the evidence or arguments or that type of stuff. So... Um, yeah, so appeal to fear, does it happen? Yeah, it absolutely does. It happens a lot in politics, by the way. Um, and, uh, so you need to be aware of it because one thing with logical fallacies is if, um, if, uh, you know, it's being worked on you, then it loses its power. It loses its persuasiveness. All right. So that's our finding of the fallacy for today. The appeal to fear. And let's meet our early church father for today, who is St. Fulgentus of Ruspi. St. Fulgentus of Ruspi. Uh, St. Fulgentus was born in 467 AD. He was a son of wealthy and influential family and was well-educated in both Latin and Greek. At one time, a tax collector of his native town in the uh, African province of Bysinia, he afterwards became a monk. And about the year 502 A.D., he was made Bishop of Ruspi. A year later, the Aryan Vandal persecution broke out, and he was exiled with more than 60 other Catholic bishops into Sardinia. Um, with the exception of a two-year period uh, when he was at Carthage, sometime between 510 and 517 A.D., he remained in Sardinia until the death of Thasimond, the Vandal king, in 523. Fulgentus was then able to return to Ruspi, where he remained until his death 
on January 1st, actually coming up, 527 A.D. Fulgentius is probably regarded as one of the greatest theologians of his age. In his doctrine on grace, he was one with Augustine. He teaches the particular saving will of God, unconditional predestination to beatitude or damnation, the unbaptized infants who are excluded from uh, beatitude, and original sin is transmitted through the concupiscence of the parents. This latter view very likely leads him to a denial of the Immaculate Conception of Mary, by the way. Yet it must be admitted that this alleged failing was not nearly so close, uh, clear in his writings as some of it make. Uh, in any case, the Immaculate Conception, which seems to be both hinted and hinted against in Augustine's writings, this is according to Jurgen's Faith Early Fathers, by the way, is a point of doctrine which had not been formally raised, and to which as yet uh, very little thought was given. So, in other words, much of the evidence you have is basically incidental. It's not something that pertains directly to the doctrine. Uh, we do have letters from uh, Fulgentius. Uh, namely, uh, there are 19 such items. Uh, some of them are fragmentary. And, um, yeah, he also played a very important role, by the way, in a, a little-known council of the church that I think a lot of Catholic apologists need to be familiar with. It's the Council of Second Orange. Because the Council of uh, Second Orange um, basically uh, lays out the doctrine of grace, predestination, uh, basically where does uh, things start, when do they stop, you know, what's human, what's divine, those type of things as well. So, um, yeah, so that's our early church father for today, St. Fulgentius of Ruspi. All right. Um, yeah. All right. So, sorry, I got a lot of stuff going on in the dojo as of now. But anyway, yeah, very important second uh, council of origin, our origin. Boy, I can't talk. Second Council of or Orange. Um, check it out. Read the canons uh, because it's quoted at Trent and it's necessary because when people claim that Catholics teach Pelagianism, that uh, you could show them Second Orange and show them that Trent affirms Second Orange. And I found in my own personal dialogues that um, that helps clarify a lot of uh, misunderstandings. So, um, yeah, so Second Orange, check it out. Just go on the, um, I believe it's probably available on newadvent.org, um, which the early church father writings are also available on newadvent.org. Um, check it out because, uh, like I said, very helpful when you're talking about justification, grace, the role of free will, uh, what can we do and what, what can't we do in terms of contributing to salvation? And St. Fulgentius is actually quoted, I believe, in one of the canons. And he was a mover and shaker at that council. So check it out, folks. That's just my own little apologetic hack for you. <laughs> Something to keep in your back pocket if you can. All right. Well, I hear the music coming up. So... That's uh, we'll conclude that part. That is our early church father for today, Saint Fulgentius. Coming up next, we're going to be chatting with Kyle Whittington 
Talk about his own journey of faith and ministry on social media. Stay tuned. Now, back to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda. If you'd like to join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Here's Gary. And welcome back, everybody, Hands-On Apologetics. Well, hey, the sensei is juggling a whole bunch of <laughs> trying to keep all the balls in the air. And he's doing his best. And uh, anyway, uh, that's besides the point because uh, I'm really excited about our next guest, which we're going to talk to. Um, I love his stuff. I have to confess, uh, he's winsome, he's funny, he's clever, he's insightful as well. So I, I've been uh, devouring all his videos. His name's Kyle Whittington. And Kyle, by the way, is a um, he's a Catholic husband and father of four. He's converted to Catholicism at the age of 18. And he runs a YouTube channel that focuses on conversion stories and apologetics. And Kyle Whittington, welcome to Hands-On Apologetics. All right. Thanks, Gary. I'm super excited to be on. Yeah, yeah it's good to be with you as well. Uh, yeah, so uh, like I said, uh, <laughs> I love your stuff. Uh, it, it's witty. It's insightful. Uh, you kind of like go the extra yard. I, for me, I would just do a live video and throw it up there, but you do great <laughs> editing, stuff like that. Uh, so... Uh, what, what's the name of the channel again? It's, it's just your name, right? Yeah, it's just my name. It's just Kyle Whittington. I, I tried to name it something like Our Wits End with an H, as in Whittington. But uh, I noticed that all that ended up with was just YouTube would correct it, and then you wouldn't find me. So it's just simply Kyle Whittington. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, those darn spell correct things. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I want to hear about your journey of faith. Because you're a convert, but you're you're actually a pretty early convert, 18 years of age. Yeah, so a little bit. I, I grew up in southeastern Oklahoma, which is very much the Bible Belt. Uh, so very Protestant. Uh, the church that I would go to every Sunday would be the Pentecostal church that my grandmother went to. Um, although I think technically on paper we were Methodists, but don't blame the Methodists for me. That's pretty insulting to them. Um, and, uh, eventually like my grandmother passed away whenever I was 12. And then I started going to like a church of Christ and Baptist and, you know, I didn't really see the difference between any of those. Um, so it's just, you know, just going to church on Sunday was just going to church. Um, but then, um, we, you know, I wasn't raised like strictly anti-Catholic. It's just, I remember Catholicism coming up exactly once growing up and that was, my mom was reading the Bible to us uh, while we were on a road trip and they came across the call, call no man father verse. And, and then my mom like paused and she says, Oh, well, that's interesting. Cause that's exactly what the Catholics do. <laughs> and so that was like my only exposure to Catholicism. So it was like, wasn't anti-Catholic, but it wasn't definitely wasn't pro Catholic either. Right. But then, so uh, whenever I was 16, I actually got the opportunity to go on a trip to Europe and we visited the Vatican and that was, I was a huge art nerd, so I loved that. So I was at the Vatican as a tourist, not a pilgrim, which is frustrating now. But <laughs> whenever I came back from that, there was a cute girl in my class. She was the only Catholic girl in class. And she invited me to church. And I was thinking to myself, you are really cute. And that's all well and good, but... I'm pretty sure that if I go to a Catholic church, 
the ground will split open and I will go straight to hell. So I'm, I'm really concerned about my, my soul. So no, I, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to go to church with you. But then remarkably, she said something that just absolutely changed everything. And she said to me, Kyle, there's going to be free pizza there. And I was sold. And that, that was it. And, uh, you know, that was apparently what, what, the, what tipped the scales for me. So I went. And when we got there, they had a really cool setup. It was a life teen program. And it was at St. Patrick's uh, Catholic Church in Denison, Texas. Um, and we had an amazing uh, young adult team that was, that was running it. And the, the, we, at the beginning before Mass on like a Wednesday night, we split up into two different camps of like you know men and women the men had a band of brothers which we called bob and then the women had wild which was you know women in love with the divine and we'd all have like our own like little catechetical um, sessions with each other now so that gave me a space to ask questions and i started to notice the the pattern of if i had a question there was an answer every single time and of course you know now obviously you being familiar with apologetics, you'll know that like the call no man father. Oh man, that's an easy one. You can knock that one out. So simple. And that's exactly what these guys did. I mean, they didn't even have to crack open a book. And I was, I was like, Oh wow, that, that had a really easy explanation. And I <laughs> kept going, kept going, kept noticing that pattern of these explanations are really easy. And eventually I just kept coming back and the mass was just absolutely captivating to me. I remember the first time we went, it was like a Wednesday evening mass. And at the end I was just like, I have no idea what just happened, but that was huge. Um, so I, I went up to, uh, my, my friend who ultimately became my RCIA sponsor, like, Hey, what was that? What, what, what is this? And he's like, Oh yeah. So he kind of explained it a little bit to me, explained the real presence and explain, you know, why we conducted ourselves with reverence in there. And I was just like, whoa, okay. And the priest, uh, Father John, he was fantastic. I suppose he still is fantastic. He's no longer at that parish. But he, um, he had a way of speaking to teenagers, touching on the issues that we as teenagers were dealing with and how to deal with them as Catholics. And it was just, it was something completely refreshing. And it was not more like the, you know, the, the standard evangelical, you know, hippie, yay, 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 your teenagers be on fire for Christ. It was like actual practical advice, which was super refreshing for me. And, but I remember thinking to myself, okay, but I have to hold on to my Protestant roots. This is, I can't become Catholic because Catholics are wrong because they're wrong. And because I I was like 17 at this time. So I was, I, I mean, I wasn't that smart. And, but then I remember thinking to myself, I was watching a Comedy Central thing because I was a teenager and had a terrible sense of humor. So, you know, Comedy Central was still funny. And some comedian was on and he gave like this anti-Catholic joke, like, you know, like priests or pedophiles kind of thing. And I remember thinking to myself, like I was offended and I turned off the TV and I, and I went on and like this wasn't even the first time I'd seen this special. And it was whenever I turned off the TV and walked away, I realized whether I want to admit it or not, I'm, I'm already there. I'm, I've already crossed the Tiber. It's just mm. a matter of making it official. And I, uh, it, was, it was pretty intimidating. So like, I asked my buddy, uh, said, hey, I'm thinking about becoming Catholic. What does that take? And he's just like, well, you got to start going to church on Sunday mornings. Because I, I was like an evening, evening's only guy. So 
And I was like, oh, no, too rich for my blood. I can't I can't do that. You know, my Sundays are mine. I'm not going to give those up for anything. But then that that desire to be in union with the church that Christ founded just kept growing and growing and growing. It's like, OK, I got it. I, I can't just ignore this. And it came time. I, I told my mom this was Lent of 2009. And I, I told my mom uh, she'd, she'd pause the TV on the DVR. And I was just like, OK, it's now or never before she can play the TV again. It's like, hey, mom, I, I think I need to be Catholic. And oh, man, you would have thought I was coming out of the closet because <laughs> she was just like, <sighs> OK, OK, we'll get through this. And she uh, she she gave me two stipulations. She said, OK, I, you can do this, but you got to wait till you're 18 and you have to study it. I'm not going to let you walk into this blind. And ultimately, I was just like, well, uh, this is Lent of 2009, and the next Easter wasn't until after my 18th birthday anyway, and I had to go through RCIA. So it's just like, hey, Mom, um, you and the church are on the same page on, on this, so let's do it. And so I went through RCIA, um, and it was funny because my baptism, first communion, or baptism, confirmation, first communion were all on the same day. And then that morning, I actually had like my Eagle Scout Court of Honor. And originally, I was like, no, we can't do it. We can't do this because that's too much of a conflict. And my mom's like, it's happening in the evening. This is in the morning. Calm down. And uh, so that was April. I think it was April 4th, 2010. Was a, it was a pretty big day for me. Uh, but then, yeah, it's been uh, great. Uh, great since then. Um, but anyway, I don't I don't know if you have any questions uh, or yeah, want to hear about what happened a little I bit got next. a ton or, of them. ton of them. Uh, yeah, go ahead. So... So it sounds like you came from like a low church background. Oh, very much. Uh, yeah. So when you did go to your first Catholic mass, what was your first impressions? Well, the first Catholic mass, and keep in mind, this was like the life teen guitar mass had a drum set up there and everything. So it was very familiar because I was really big into Christian rock at the time. And it was very familiar, but it was captivating the entire time from start to finish. My attention did not waver once. Uh, yeah, I, you know, that, that, that's no longer the case anymore. Cause you know, time goes on, but, uh, but yeah, that was my very first impression was it was captivating. It was otherworldly. And I was very confused and very nervous cause you know, stand, sit, kneel, and just, uh, I don't know what's happening here. And, right. uh, I was, I was pretty nervous, but yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, to suddenly do liturgy, did any of the churches you attend, were they liturgical like that or it was just preaching? I think technically Methodist church was, um, but I don't really remember much of it. I think I can count on my hands how many times we actually went there, but that's where my parents were were registered. And uh, so anybody who's from Oklahoma knows that, like, if you're from a small town, you got to go to the next slightly less small town to do anything. So we, it was a 30 minute drive to get to that. And my parents, that whole like Sunday mornings are mine thing. I got that from them. So I, uh, yeah, we went to there, but even then it was just kind of one of those while I was there, I was, you know, facing the wrong direction in the pew playing with whatever cars or whatever I had. And then it was just an excuse That's to true. wait until we had donuts. Sure. Yeah, right. And so uh, so you get invited to a life team mass uh, this mm -hmm. morning with pizza and a cute girl. Um, <laughs> so how long did the pizza last? I mean, eventually you, you said you came back. Was it was the motivation still free pizza and hanging out with this uh, potential date or? Yeah. 
well, so it was uh, the community is it's like the pizza got me in the door, but yeah. it was the community that I kept going back for the it was really spectacular because the one of uh, the leaders there were fantastic. There was a uh, I'll give a uh, Joanna Gallegos a shout out, who's a fantastic, uh, fantastic woman. And she was very motherly and like helped kind of uh, help along the way. But the, the free pizza was an every Wednesday, every Sunday thing. So it was a really easy decision, especially because like you're 16, you got a car, but no money. You never say no to free food. <laughs> Yeah, right, right, exactly. Yeah, and uh, so you go there, and it's funny because the call no man father was like a slam dunk, you know, from your right. mom. So, and so the I, so I could see where it'd be disarming that they they would be able to brush it aside convincingly as if it's nothing, you know, when that's oh, yeah. a big gun. Well, and especially because like yeah, I don't mean to brag, but like I was captain of the academic team. We were state champions. I was on the All-State team. So, like, I was not a dumb kid. So to see somebody come up to me and just, like, slam dunk me like I was a child was just, it was quite refreshing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. We're, we're chatting with Kyle Whittington, talking about his journey of faith. We're going to talk about his channel as well. You're listening to Hands-On Apologetics. We're going to be right back right after this. This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And welcome back, everybody. We're chatting with Kyle Whittington, the um, the mover and shaker behind Kyle Whittington channel on YouTube, talking about his journey of faith, and we're going to talk about also his ministry as well. Um, so, Kyle, you know, when your mom gave you that advice, I was thinking that was really good advice. Uh, in fact, uh, I know some people that I've talked to who become interested in becoming Catholic. I always tell them, look, you need to go back, get the best arguments you have against the church, compare it with what the church actually teaches, you know, hear both sides out and then make a decision, you know, don't rush in. And it just it providentially turned out that it, it worked perfectly with the RCA program. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely all God's grace because I can't I can't take any any credit for this at all because I mean whenever I think back on the story there was literally only one Catholic family in our town and that Catholic family had a cute girl that was about my age which by the way for for all the listeners spoiler alert we did not get married we did not even date it's always awkward telling that story <laughs> in front of my wife because they're like yeah. they look at her oh is that you I was like oh no it wasn't her. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's true. So, uh, so you you become Catholic. Uh, what was the reaction from your friends and family? Well, I suppose like I was always a weird kid, so a lot of my friends at school were just kind of like, "That's oh, just Kyle being Kyle." Um, <laughs> and you know, it, it's kind of like all high school. You really only talk to your close friends. Moving on, this happened my senior year. So, as to this day, like there's only like one guy from high school that I really only talk to. I was actually talking to him right before I came on here. Uh, but he, uh, they, they were, they were at least, I don't want to say supportive, but they weren't like, they didn't shun me either. And then a lot of my family from like the, you know, the distant cousins that you only see at family reunions, they were shocked and surprised because they only heard about it after like the official announcement came out. It's like, oh, I'm Catholic now because to them. So for me, it was like a year and a half long journey, 
But to them, it was just all of a sudden a Facebook post. And they were like, well, that's just kind of right. sudden. You need to really stop and consider this. And it's like, I, I, I have. <laughs> yeah, right. But, yeah, that's true. Yeah, the getting let, uh, let in at the last moment uh, right. can be a little shocking. So, uh, yeah, so I bet that opened up a lot of interesting discussions within the family, especially since Catholicism seemed so foreign in your particular location. Oh, yeah. And, you know, like a lot of converts, I know like Keith Nestor has has a, addressed this before for like a new convert. I was a complete and total jerk about it. Uh, I'll, I'll be real. Uh, that was <laughs> I was not a nice guy about it and had lots of arguments with my parents because I thought apologetics is merely just winning the argument. And I found out real quick that that is a, that is not the case. Yeah, so uh, especially when you're dealing with people that you love. So yeah, right. But yeah, right. then things got really weird, too, because I went to Franciscan for a year, too. Um, and that's where I, I, I met like a lot of my like really, really, really close Catholic friends. So my parents, whenever I said, hey, I, I feel like I'm being called to go to Franciscan, they, uh, uh, of course, you know, my poor Protestant parents over there who didn't have a lot of money were like, you want to go to this private Catholic school in Ohio with what money? And uh, hence the I only went there for a year because I, I ran out of money pretty quick. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, um, they're probably wondering what's next, the priesthood, you know? <laughs> yeah, that was definitely on the table, but I met my wife, uh, I think, about three or four weeks after starting at Franciscan. So, uh, And then whenever they met the woman who's now my wife, they were like, oh, yeah, he, she's too good for him. Like, it's like, if, if they break up, we're keeping her and, and tossing him. So. <laughs> yeah. so, so you enter the church. Um, how do you get into social media? Were you always like putting videos out and things like no, that? No. So my conversion video is kind of the one that that kicked it all off. I'm uh, I'm part of uh, Matt Frad's Pints with Aquinas Locals group, and okay. he put out a call, I guess back in May, saying like, "Hey, you guys need to be creating stuff too. I want to know your conversion stories." So if you watch my initial conversion story, it. It's a very low quality video. I just shot it on my laptop with no editing, no, nothing. And I legitimately thought about 12 people were going to watch it. Um, to date, I think it's just shy of like 6,000 views, which, I mean, you know, YouTube numbers, it's still nothing. But like I said, it's about 6,000 more than what I thought it was going to get. And I, I thought to myself, you know, there's a demand for this a little bit. And I seem to have a little bit of this because I got so many comments that were saying, like, I really like your sense of humor. You've got a very dramatic sense of storytelling. And I was talking to my wife and I said, like, you know, this is something that I've always wanted to do. And I I think I think I could do this. And, you know, I'm not like I said, only I only have like a year of college, so I'm not formally educated or anything. It's just I listen to a lot of podcasts. I, I read a lot. But um, that kind of turned into uh, you know, there's a lot of basic things that I could go over that seem to be lacking in the general public. Mm -hmm. And uh, the video that you watched with uh, my my response to John Adams on the Cameron Bertuzzi conversion, yeah, I got to noticing that like a lot of anti-Catholic apologetics are extremely low-hanging fruit. We don't need a Gary Machuda, a Scott Hahn, or a Trent Horn to refute these. You know, you got this Oklahoma boy here that's never gone to, never graduated from college, and yet all these things are just, I mean, they're easy for me. And I got to thinking, you know, what if somebody comes across one of these videos and they don't know any better, and they watch it, and yet over in the suggested column is going to be my video sitting there saying, 
this video rebutted. And they could go, oh, maybe there's more to this story. And it's just like, I don't know how often that's going to happen, but it's definitely not going to happen unless this does, uh, unless somebody does it. And there's just so much out there that like the, the top dogs aren't going to be able to handle it all. And plus I'm able to throw in some jokes and some humor and it's, uh, it's really, it's, you know, I, I guess I'm bringing something to the table cause you know, I keep getting encouragement. So <laughs> Yeah, no, I I really enjoyed it. Uh, I thought you did a fantastic job. Again, you know, with with sense of humor, you know, and uh, with awesome points, uh, you just sliced and diced a whole <laughs> reaction video. But, you know, to start off with, Kyle, I I think anyone who does a reaction video to a conversion story is kind of weird. Yeah, it's the person's telling their life story. It's like, this is my rebuttal to your life story, you know? Right. So so that kind of opens up a lot of, uh, you know, I don't mind people, you know, critiquing it and having fun uh, at their expense because it's kind of ridiculous to to begin with. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, and I've gotten I've gotten some responses, like on my initial conversion video of a guy saying, well, it's a shame that your conversion didn't involve scripture and i said and i was just thinking it's like yeah actually there was a lot of scripture involved it's just I, it's a 10 minute video what do you want from me i didn't go over every detail and and they were just like well you know the you didn't say an encounter with the gospel blah 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 and i was just like saint paul was knocked off of a horse and was made blind like yes that was an encounter with the you know word made flesh you know jesus christ but like how who are you to tell me that i converted wrong like, yeah. and, uh, you know, I get that a lot. So seeing like Cameron Bertuzzi, he's, you know, such a high profile guy. So everybody and their dog has something to say about it. And, you know, I know Matt Frad was like, hey, everybody go into these videos and congratulate Cameron in the comment section. So now even even today you go into these videos and it's just nothing but so happy for Cameron. And it's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that um, really good stuff. Um, yeah, so that also puts you out in the public, like you said. Right. So you get all this uh, feedback, and mm-hmm. that that kind of feedback is kind of common just in regular day to day. If someone oh, yeah. leaves the Protestant faith, becomes Catholic, it's either you have some great secret sin that nobody knows about, or you're just dumb and you haven't studied the scriptures. Right. That's kind of typical. Yeah, well, like, you know, maybe this is, like, scandalous to say, but that's one thing that I love about Catholicism is that I don't have to be a genius. Um, In fact, I've noticed that if you ever, like, especially somebody like me, if I ever find some new, profound theological belief, what it actually is is a very old heresy. So, um, you know, it's like, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I was a smart kid in a small town in Oklahoma, but that makes me just average out in the real world. So it, it, I don't have to be a genius. I can, I can lean on Aquinas. I can lean on Augustine and I can, uh, and then even people who are living like yourself and Dr. Han, it's, it's so much easier just to be able to go this because we've been around for 2000 years. The work has already been done. So I'm able to literally, I've got the video series called low hanging fruit. Uh, my next video is coming out tomorrow and it's just, anti-catholic stuff that's low-hanging fruit and it's like guys if i can do it so can you yeah. so yeah yeah you're right though I, I and that's i think that's a, a real important need is 
there needs to be responses uh, or counter ex- examples or something like that. Because uh, you, you can't respond to everything. I mean, there's only so many apologists in the world, and there's a ton of anti-Catholics that have cameras on their, their computer systems and, you know, are throwing up videos. So, it you know, especially when you could do it with panache like you do in your videos. Because uh, I love the element of humor. Uh, some of your videos are hysterical. But it, <laughs> it's, done, it's done just not to be funny. It's done to be to make a point, you know. Right. Well, so I I love the line, and I'm gonna be I'm gonna paraphrase excuse me paraphrase Chesterton here. But you know, some people I'm talking about very serious things, but I'm throwing humor in there, and somebody's like that you shouldn't be laughing about. That's not a laughing matter. And it's like I'm sorry, you seem to be confused. The opposite of funny is not serious. The opposite of funny is not funny. So I can be both funny and serious at the same time. So I don't I don't feel a need to stop making jokes about this stuff, especially whenever it's kind of one of those. <laughs> oh, wow. You've got a point. So, right. you know. Yeah. I mean, the best humor always has elements of truth in it. You know, exactly. The, the, the things that are just completely absurd aren't really that funny as, uh, <laughs> you know, oddly enough. Right. Yes. So, uh, we'll, boy, uh, we're coming up to the break. I, I'll, I'll throw out a question. You can think about it over the break. What were the major obstacles, you know, when you're coming into the faith or even as a new Catholic, you know, uh, that perhaps uh, either uh, gave you pause or maybe even thought of, gee, did I make the right move coming into the church? Uh, yeah, so I, I think that we'll just park it right there because the music is going to come up in a second. We are chatting with Kyle Whittington of the YouTube channel, Kyle Whittington. Uh, check it out, folks, and subscribe, like, tell your friends about it. I think it's great material. And uh, you'll listen to Hands On Apologetics. I'll be right back. Now, back to Hands On Apologetics with Gary Machuda. If you'd like to join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Here's Gary. And welcome back, everybody. We are chatting with Kyle Whittington of the Kyle Whittington YouTube channel and uh, talking about his journey of faith. And before the break, Kyle, I, I threw out a question about what, you know, what was the biggest obstacle coming into the church? Well, I suppose the biggest obstacle would have been honestly kind of just logistical and actually getting into and complying with the requirements that the church levels upon us. Uh, St. Patrick's was about an hour drive away from my house. So that was going to be the biggest one. But doctrinally speaking, I suppose Mary was the, was the big sticking one because I didn't quite grasp yet that prayer did not always equate to worship. So I was sitting there like, you guys seem to have it right, but but you're worshiping Mary, so I don't I don't know how to reconcile those two. And you know, eventually it just came to the thing of like I kind of had to just accept that I knew that I had the wrong understanding. And it I, honestly wasn't until probably just a few years ago that I finally heard somebody just explicitly say, prayer is not worship, and you know, prayer is just simply like begging or pleading. And, you know, if you beg or plead to a, a person who's walking around right now, that's not that's not worshiping them. And I was like, no, I suppose it's not. And so whenever I heard somebody like put that into words, it just absolutely clicked to me. And I was like, I, dang, that would have been a lot easier if I'd heard that whenever I was 
whenever I was there, but I had kind of become, uh, the papacy wasn't actually that big of a hang up for me because, uh, you know, I don't want to get into like any criticisms of the, the Holy Father now, but like, you know, Pope Benedict was the Pope at the time and he wasn't making the news. There was, nobody was really twisting his words except with a few exceptions. So it was just like, Hey, this guy's in charge. And my response to that was just, Oh, okay. That makes sense. And you know, now like, you know, for, with, with Pope Francis, it's taken like uh, a lot of study to come to a real appreciation of him. And, you know, but you know, I I think that would have been a bigger struggle at the time, but I don't think it would have been a, an insurmountable one. Uh, but those were definitely the big ones. And then the real struggle kind of came on later after my conversion because I went to Franciscan and one of my first friends that I made there uh, was uh, the now father, Jeremiah Hahn. And it was funny because, if you, you know, during my conversion story, I may, may have been the only convert on that entire campus that had never heard the name Scott Hahn before. I was going to ask you. That's funny. I had never heard of him. So whenever I met Jeremiah, um, you know, we were exchanging numbers because he, he invited me to come check out his household that he had helped found. And I was just like, yeah, okay, man, sure. Uh, let me get your number. Got his number. And I was just like, hey, what's your last name? Han. Okay, cool. How do you spell that? And that was like my only <laughs> question. And then later on, I was in the bookstore and I saw the, the the books with the Han last name on there. I was like, is that any relation to Jeremiah Han? It's like, yeah, that's his dad. Huh. <laughs> He's got a lot of books in here. Is he, is he a big deal? And somebody looks at me and goes, oh, some would say so. And I was like, huh, okay. <laughs> and then now, like, I've, now I've like, I just love Dr. Han's uh, books. And it's like, they're so easy to read. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's so crazy that like, that's, that's how I was introduced to his work is by that me. That is so. Yeah. Yeah. Did you do much reading or, or uh, like w- w- was a video? It, w- it's obviously face to face communication was a key to, you know, oh, yeah. you discovering Catholicism. Uh, I guess outside of that, I guess, honestly, because I was a I was a pretty dumb kid. I would read. Uh, well, the the only the only book that I really read was Catholicism for Dummies. And <laughs> I mean, I would just tear through that. And what's remarkable, and this is hilarious now, I thought because I read Catholicism for Dummies, that made me an expert on Catholicism, which is looking back on it now is like that that is true. That shows like how accurate the the label of for dummies really applied to me, because I thought <laughs> I'm going to go to Franciscan and I'm going to ace these theology courses. And I was just like, oh, wow, I, I, I literally know just north of nothing. And. <laughs> yeah, so that was a that was a fun uh, fun learning experience, and like even though I was only there, like I like to say that the most important thing that I learned at Franciscan was that I was not remotely sm- as smart as I thought I was. Mm. Um, but yeah, the real struggle though came after I left Franciscan because you know you got your friends there. the The peer pressure leans you toward holiness, mm. and I got to I got to. Uh, grow a lot with that and really like we prayed the divine mercy chaplet together as a group of men and you know we do a walking rosary with a litany of saints and that was incredibly helpful but after i left because my girlfriend now wife at the time i knew we were getting married i was going to need to provide for a family and without a degree what what are your options so i had actually decided to enlist in the air force 
So I joined the Air Force. And anybody who's ever served in the military is going to know that you're not going to meet the most godly people there. I was by far the only practicing Catholic that I worked with in like my entire six-year active duty career. And so that was tough because I kind of felt like I was on an island just kind of suffering on my own. And I very quickly fell into just going through the motions, trying not to make waves. And that was that was extremely tough. And it took me a while to come out of that and realize, because during that time, if you would have asked me, how is your faith not just simply uh, a list of do's and don'ts? I wouldn't have been able to answer that question because it's just like, I don't know, because that's all I kind of know right now is just the do's and don'ts. I go to mass on Sundays. I go to confession whenever I'm in mortal sin. And uh, yeah, that's about it. You know, that's kind of how it was. So it really took me a while to come out of that mindset and do that. And, you know, obviously I'm still learning. I'm, I'm, I'm not dead yet. So there's, there's definitely room for growth. So I don't want to pretend like I'm some great saint, but that's, those are probably been the, the biggest struggles since the, you know, before and after the conversion. Yeah, I was going to ask you if the, if there was any spiritual pushback. I know a lot of people. You know, I'm involved with RCIA at our mm-hmm. parish, whatever it's called now. It's it's been changed, but uh, and invariably, you know, anybody who's coming into the church, there's always spiritual warfare going on. Entering the Air Force is in and of itself. <laughs> I mean, you're putting yourself in a very like you said, maybe not ungodly, but in some ways, you know, somewhat ungodly, you know, uh, uh, atmosphere, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, at, at least uh, there's not a lot of support. Right. Yeah, it's, it's kind of one of those things, like, I need spiritual support. And I say, we can go talk to the chaplain. Well, the chaplain's a Baptist minister. So it's just like, well, I I, uh, I, I told a I told a, a chaplain, wonderful man, um you know, Chaplain George Jones, he, he probably won't listen to this, but wonderful man. And I said, hey, hey, Chaplain, I know you're 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 very helpful. I need to go to confession. Is there any way you could help me out with that? He's like, well, I could hear it. And I'm like, I don't care about the hearing part. Like, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, no. And then like the shop. So I was a I was a maintainer. So really blue collar, grungy people who I was working with. Um, and, you know, some of the things that I would hear on that, like, you know, people like bragging about uh, being unfaithful with their wives and stuff like that, just like, you know, the locker room talk. And I was I was appalled because going from Franciscan to that was uh, it was quite shocking. And it's, you know, it was rather isolating, too, because like if that's how you're talking at work, I definitely don't want to hang out with you outside of work. So like I was I was a, I was a kind of a lonely guy in, in, in active duty. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, that's tough. Newly married in uh, in the service. Did you move around a lot? No. So remarkably, you know, I joined the Air Force to travel. My dreams were to to make it back to Italy so that way I could go back to the Vatican as a pilgrim and not as a tourist. Uh, however, they and all my, on my dream sheet, I put all the overseas assignments. I didn't want any I didn't want anything close to home. So they sent me two hours away from where I grew up in Fort Worth, Texas. <laughs> and that's where I spent my entire active duty time. Uh, yeah, you got to You got to think ahead and just cross off all the places you want to go. And then yeah. you would probably end up there, right. you know, and, and that leads me to my, my last question, which is, uh, you know, your first experience of Catholicism was all the art and stuff in Rome. Did any of that continue through your process? Uh, you, you know, I don't think it consciously did, but 
the more I've read about beauty and how, you know, the importance of beauty and how it inspires love, it absolutely was. Uh, the church in Denison, Texas, beautiful, gorgeous church. It's actually, it was uh, designed by the same architect that did the cathedral in Dallas. And it, it's stepping into something, knowing that this is so beautiful and I'm now a part of this, played a part. I'd had kind of a love for uh, a, a classic lifestyle, I guess, whatever whatever that means. I, I don't really know how to put it exactly into words. But I knew that I wanted to be the type of man that would go to mass on a Thursday, you know, or something like that, knowing that daily mass was going to be an option uh, and just seeing all this beautiful art, seeing the ceiling of the, uh, of the Sistine Chapel, you know, all these very beautiful things. It's, it's, it's very easy to fall in love whenever, you know, the object of that love is beautiful. And that's why I, I yeah, it, it's, I didn't, I, I don't know if I was aware of it at the time, but looking back is like, no, that absolutely did play a part. And, you know, it continues to play a part. Uh, we had a, uh, we had a Requiem Mass at, or the All Souls Day Requiem Mass, and it was a, a Durafle, which it was a rather unique uh, experience because this was Gregorian chant set to orchestral accompaniment. And it was, just beautiful. Look it up on YouTube. Durafle, D-U-R-U-F-L-E, Requiem. And it's at the point where we got to the, you know, the Agnus Day. I was just weeping and just because it, it was remarkably be beautiful. The chant carried the sorrow, the reverence and, and all of that. And I mean, I was just absolutely in tears and, you know, that stuff is, I know that stuff isn't necessary, but it certainly doesn't hurt. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, uh, let's talk about the channel. So it's mm -hmm. Kyle Whittington. You just type it into, um, YouTube and do you have a website, anything else like that? The website's in the works. So you've caught me very early on in this. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm in the works of getting a website and other things. And yeah, so it's uh, it's just the channel right now. So Kyle Whittington, W-H-I-T-T-I-N-G-T-O-N. And uh, I'll be the first result that pops up. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I love uh, I love your uh, program. Uh, you mentioned that you're going to have low hanging fruit uh, section. So yes. you got some videos coming up. Any interviews coming up? Well, so I've got some I, I do love talking to converts and hearing their story. Um, I've got uh, a couple of guys from Avoiding Babylon who are coming on, and I'm, I'm trying to get Jimmy Aiken on the channel, but you know we'll see if he can you know actually uh, answer my emails. <laughs> but that's, that's what we got going on. Awesome. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for coming on the show. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Gary. All right, Kyle Whittington. Yeah, check it out, people. Let's blow up his channel. Get some subscriptions, thumbs up. Tell your friends about it. Wow. All right. The hour is gone. Coming up next, High Impact Catholic Talk coming in with the Terry and Justin Show. Thank you so much for listening. God willing, we'll be back again tomorrow. Do this thing called hands-on apologetics.